This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. I have here three cups of coffee. Now, you're accustomed to seeing me with a cup of coffee in my hand. And you may be thinking, this is a bit excessive. Depends on your perspective. I'm trying to cut back, honestly. These three cups look the same. Smell the same. There's not a whole lot of difference here. One of them is Parkview Blend. Roasted at Fort Finley Coffee and Donuts. Brewed fresh here in our coffee bar. Available for free. Wonderful, smooth, relaxing, delicious coffee. Another cup is iced coffee. Now there's no ice in it. I put it in the freezer for a little bit, keep it cold, invigorating, it'll wake you up in a good way on a summer morning. The third cup is yesterday's coffee. It sat in my car overnight. It's just coffee. And I wouldn't call it smooth or refreshing or wonderful in any way. Now, by show of hands, which cup would you prefer? Are you a hot coffee drinker and you love to start your morning with a hot cup of joe? Are you an iced coffee drinker and you like that refreshing taste? How many of you would be willing to take a sip of yesterday's coffee from my car? There's always one. Whoa, wow. There's, there's at least one in every crowd. It's like, yeah, I'll dive in. I don't care. Old coffee really, I don't find to be that gross. We were on a mission trip from our last church in Kentucky with some high school students. We went to Cincinnati downtown to, to serve. It was a CIY we, uh, no sweat trip. And on the way, I stopped at a gas station and got some coffee, like machine coffee. Um, and drank some of it, but I didn't finish it. Left it in the van. We got in the van the next morning, and I just reached for the cup and took a drink. And went, oh, that's, that's yesterday's coffee. And the teenagers were like, oh, yuck, that's so gross. Like, there's, there's no dairy in it. Honestly, it doesn't taste that much different from yesterday. I mean, it's gas station coffee. Um, and, and so every morning, we made, I made a joke out of it. I would get in the van, take a drink of that, that coffee all week long just to get a reaction from the kids in the bag. I mean, sometimes you have to sacrifice for, you know, fun on the trip. I was willing to do it. But I don't really see, see the need. Now, if we had a little shell game here, and uh, we didn't know which cup was which, couldn't imagine... Would you be willing to come up and take a random drink from a cup, not knowing if it was hot, cold, or just lukewarm? Would you then be satisfied with what you got? If you happen to think, well, I really love hot coffee. I want to, I want to drink of that, or I really love iced coffee. If you happen to get the lukewarm one, would it be so disgusting to you that taking a drink, you wouldn't want to swallow it. Instead, you just want to spit it out. That's what I want us to be thinking about as we step into the last letter that Jesus sent to the church at Laodicea. This is our final sermon in our series. We've been through each of the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia that, that the Apostle John wrote from the island of Patmos as he wrote down, recorded the words of Jesus that he saw in a vision. And uh, I gotta be, say, I'm, I'm a little sad to be at the end of this series. I really enjoyed the process. I hope you have enjoyed it as well. Uh, we're gonna begin reading Revelation chapter three and verse 14. If you have a Bible, 
I'm going to invite you to open up and read along with me. The words will be on the screen. If you want to use the YouVersion app, you can use a phone or tablet. Open up the YouVersion Bible app. Search under events for Parkview Finley. You'll find scripture notes and the connecting card in the, in the YouVersion app. Let's begin reading together in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, the letter was written to the church at Laodicea, a city known for a number of things. They were known for the banks that were present in the city, a place for the wealthy citizens to store their excess funds. And so we know of Laodicea, a very wealthy place. The second thing they were known for is this uh, rare black wool that they produced in the city. It had kind of a uh, a purple hue to it. It was the name brand fabric. People from the region would would, would seek after this Laodicean black wool if they had the means to purchase it and wear it, use it as decorations in their home. It was a status symbol for them, recognized by everyone as a sign of luxury. They also were known for uh, medicine. They had a, a training center where they would, they would teach people about medicine. They had, they had clinics there where you could go and be treated. And they were known in particular for the salve that could be put on the eyes. And uh, if, if you had an infection or an injury, it would help the eye to heal. At this time in the world around them, an injury or, or infection in the eye would very well mean losing that eye. But because of the salve they had developed, it helped them to restore the sight to people who normally would not have that hope. The last thing they're known for is the way that they received their water. There were aqueducts that fed the city of Laodicea, and it said that the aqueduct, the main aqueduct, ran six miles from a hot spring to the city itself. Now, I've never been to Laodicea. I can't verify this fact. It's what historians and commentators say is the case. So uh, from the distance from this hot spring across six miles in this, in this uh, channel of water, the water temperature became acclimated to the environment, lowering mile by mile as it got closer to the city. And so Jesus used the environment, used the, the things that the city was known for to teach them about their faith, to teach them about the, the spiritual needs that they had. We learned from his words to them as he addressed the church. He began the letter as he has begun other letters that he wrote to the other churches, identifying himself and teaching a bit about himself. He used three titles to the church in Laodicea. He said this, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus called himself the amen. That's a word that we don't use often in our world today. There are only two occasions that I can think of. Maybe you have another. The first occasion is to close out prayer. We pray to the Lord and say, in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So Jesus is 
not saying, I am the end of all prayers, the amen. No, he is proclaiming himself to be the authoritative truth. The historical reason that we say amen at the end of a prayer is because this word is used to verify the truth. When you pray, you are saying the true reflection of your heart and mind to the Lord. You pray these things and verify they're true. Amen. If you were to hear someone else speaking and you agreed with the truth that they were saying, you could respond to them by saying, amen, I agree with what you're saying and I believe it to be true. Maybe in a very vocal church service, you've you've heard someone respond to something that they believed and and agreed with and shouted from wherever they were sitting, amen. It's kind of startling sometimes, but it's part of the worship service if you've grown up in that kind of a church. And so for Jesus to say, I am the amen, he is proclaiming himself to be the authoritative, definitive, conclusive truth. And it's significant for him to call himself that because all of our lives at the end will be measured based off of whether or not we have submitted to the truth, submitted to his authority, and allowed him to be Lord of our lives. He also said of himself, I am the faithful and true witness. He's used this title for himself in a previous letter, and we talked about him living this witness to the power and presence of God and even dying faithfully devoted as a witness to God's power and presence in the world. He also said, I'm the ruler of God's creation. Of everything God created, Jesus rules. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And so Jesus rules over all of those things. We are created by God. And so Jesus is sovereign ruler over us. Now we have a decision whether we're going to rebel against his authority or whether we are going to submit to his authority. The sooner we submit, however, we then recognize not only that he is sovereign, but we live under his authority. We're guided by his leading and sustained by his power. And our lives make sense when we submit to his rule and live according to his will in our lives. He continued, writing to the believers in Laodicea. He said, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish you were one or the other. Have you ever had that experience? Where you had something that was supposed to be hot, and it wasn't. You just wished that it was a little bit warmer. Something was supposed to be really cold, and you thought it was going to be great, and it's not cold anymore, and you just wished it wasn't lukewarm. Maybe you prefer your coffee one way or the other, and you end up Getting distracted, leaving your cup out. I do that sometimes in the morning. I'll get a fresh cup of hot coffee, start working, go to reach for it. Oh, no, it's cold now. I keep drinking, but it's not a great experience. I do it to get through the end of the cup and move on. But there are times in life where, like Jesus, we understand the significance of these words. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're just, eh. And I wish you were one or the other. Here's what Jesus said, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, when I was in college, I had the same experience that I do with coffee. I'm in, in a dorm room. It's like 12 by 12 cube, identical on both sides. There's a window when you walk in, desk, bed that becomes a couch, dresser, closet, door to get out. Two people live in this space. And so with that small amount of room, I end up on my bed a lot, either laying down to sleep or sitting up to work or not work. It's college. So I would walk into my room, open up the mini fridge, get out a cold Dr. Pepper, crack it open, take a sip, and set it on the shelf by the bed that then makes it into a couch. Now, I'm a poor college student. Don't let Dr. Pepper go to waste. And so I'll just pick that can up and keep drinking as I'm doing other things. Sometimes, though, get distracted, wrapped up, caught up in the things that I'm doing. And the pop is no longer icy cold and fizzy. Sometimes it gets warm and flat. 
but it's still sweet. It's still Dr. Pepper. And I'm not going to let it go to waste. There was one time, however, I walked in, opened up cold Dr. Pepper, took a drink, set it on the, on the shelf, started working, and reached for that Dr. Pepper and went to take a sip. And it wasn't just warm and flat. It was no longer just liquid in the can. I don't know how many days that second can of Dr. Pepper had been on my shelf, but I grabbed it instead of the cold one. And it was tangy. It was gross. I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to, to do the gross factor, but it, it, was, it was disgusting, stomach churning. And I didn't swallow it. I kept it in my mouth and ran to the window, stuck my mouth out the window and spit it out. And I kept spitting to get the flavor out of my mouth. I just kept, kept, kept spitting. I didn't want any of it in my mouth. Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, your faith could be hot. It could be cold, but it's neither one. It's, it's lukewarm. And because your faith has become this, I'm about to spit it out of my mouth. It's disgusting. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to a church about their faith? I'm about to spit you out. A faith that's become lukewarm. Has lost what once made it so valuable. Sometimes we feel this way about our faith. We get to a place in life and While we really want to grow in our relationship with God, while we really want there to be something dynamic there, there just isn't. We feel apathetic, lethargic. Sometimes we look around at the church and we feel that way about, about church. While we want it to be better, it just is. What is it that, what is it that, that brings us to that place? What is it that, that makes our faith lukewarm? A faith that was once dynamic and life-giving, a, a source of hope and peace, a, a, a motivation for the love that we have. How does it get to this place where the best we can say is that it's lukewarm? Well, sometimes it gets there because we just get distracted and busy. We get wrapped up in, 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 the, in the things that we're doing. And, and it, it just gets pushed aside. And maybe when you think about attending church, you could say, maybe I'm hit and miss, but probably I'm more miss than hit. You, you think about what it, what it once was to, to be at church and to worship and to celebrate and to feel the, the warmth and the love together as a body of believers. And now you, you feel distant. It no longer energizes you for the week. And you don't feel like you're at home with friends and family anymore. You, you feel disconnected, lukewarm. Maybe you, you get to that place because even though you would call yourself a Christian, you have faith in Jesus Christ, there are other things that have captured your attention, things that you have accepted and are trying to keep as part of your life and also continue on in your faith, and you're divided between those things. These things that really, if you had to define them, you would call unfaithfulness. But you want to just hide them and keep them with you and continue on pretending in your relationship with the Lord. And because of that division in your life, because you're allowing these things to remain, the very best you could say about your faith maybe is 
lukewarm. Maybe you get to a place in your relationship with the Lord and you start to describe it and the best word you can use is neglect. You haven't spent any time with God. You reach for your Bible to look something up that somebody said to you and the first thing you have to do is blow off the dust so you can open it up and find the information you're looking for, but it's not something that you read every day. It's not something that brings you wisdom and, and life and connection with the Lord. Maybe you've gotten to this place because frustrations have become your focal point. In life, in your relationship with the Lord at church, you come in and you think about those little things that get under your skin, that irritate you and bug you, and that they have become your focus. You see the person who's doing the thing again. Ah. And all you can think about is how frustrated you are with that pet peeve. You, you come in to a building or to a worship service and you are not actively participating. You're, you're evaluating and critiquing pretty harshly the things that you're seeing and the people that are serving. And you've come to this place where frustration is the thing that you're focused on. Maybe you get to this place called lukewarm because... more and more in your life, you're depending less on God. You're developing yourself. You're growing. You're uh, more stable financially. You, you have your own way of doing things that's successful, and you can depend on yourself. And so you really don't need God for a lot of the things that happen on a daily basis. You really don't have to, to reach and stretch and pray and plead with him anymore. And so you've come to a place where you, you don't even turn to him. And this journey alone feels very lukewarm. Sometimes we get to this place because like the water traveling through an aqueduct over miles and miles, we've gotten so acclimated to the environment around us that our temperature has become the same as the world around us. We've allowed the influence of the world to change our temperature. We've allowed the redefining of our faith and the terms of our faith that's made us stand out less and less. We've become more homogenous. We've become more similar. Where we once stood out with this vibrant, dynamic light shining in the world, this message of hope spoken out to the people around us, and now our lives don't look any different from anybody else that we encounter at the workplace or in our community and we become lukewarm. What do we do in that place? What do we do? How do we resolve that? Well, Jesus has words about how to resolve that. The first thing I, I want to say to you is that we take small, simple action. When I have a cup of coffee that I've set to the side, and instead of being hot, it has cooled down, what do I do with that coffee if I want it to be warm again? I stick it in the microwave. I put it on the stove and turn the burner on in, in a pan. You don't, you don't pour coffee on the, on the stove. You put it in a pan and turn it on. What happens if I have iced coffee that's warmed up and the, the ice is melted and it's diluted and it's not cold and refreshing anymore? I go to the refrigerator, open up the freezer door and I put ice in my cup and make it cold again. I take simple action to improve the standing of the drink that I want to be either hot or cold. When your faith is lukewarm, don't just let it remain. Do something about it. 
We're going to listen to the words that Jesus had to the church of Laodicea and learn from the instructions he gave them about what to do in their faith. Here's what he said at first. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, the, the, the believers in Laodicea are part of this very wealthy, affluent culture. They don't need. They have everything they could ever need. And they have everything that they probably could ever want for. They don't have any needs. And they're not turning to the Lord. They have the self-sufficient contentment in their lives. Pride. And it has brought them to a place where they're so satisfied, they have no reason to change. They're so content that they are blind to their spiritual condition. And Jesus is confronting them with that, confronting their pride and their wealth, confronting them to see reality for what it is and choose to take action and make a change. Here's how he said to do that. I counsel you to buy from me the series of things. Buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Buy from me white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Buy from me this salve to put on your eyes so that you can see, truly see. Jesus confronted their pride, their, the pillars of pride in their community, the things that they put their trust and hope in. Jesus confronted those things. Do you think you're wealthy because you have banks, you have lots of money? You don't even know what wealth is. Buy from me gold that has had all of its impurities burned away in the fire. This pure gold that surpasses the wealth that you could ever have imagined. Buy it from me and you'll be truly rich in the kingdom. You'll discover a value that you've never known for your life. Buy from me white clothes to cover your shameful nakedness. Remember we talked about the white clothes of Christ that he offers to us through grace as he extends his perfection, his holiness, and we become clothed with Christ when we're baptized into Christ. We, we are given spotless garments to wear of pure white. This is the grace of Jesus he's talking about. Buy from me white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. They weren't even aware of the shame they were living in. Jesus had the answer, a purpose in life beyond what they were living for. He said, buy from me salve to put on your eyes so that you can see, truly see, not just recover from an injury, but to see the reality that you're in, see the spiritual condition, to see the kingdom around you and begin living according to his will and according to his way. Jesus confronted their pride and their pursuit because they had settled for the wrong kind of wealth. And as we learned from the church of Laodicea, this is what we learned. Don't settle for the wrong kind of wealth. Don't chase after things that will continue to build up your confidence and allow you to live in the pride of your own stability and strength and provision. Stop gathering and storing and collecting things that will give you self-assurance and turn to the Lord and surrender those things to him and submit to his will and to his way. So I have a couple of questions to ask myself, a couple of questions to ask us to think about our lives, to, to evaluate especially when we come to a place where we find ourselves spiritually wishing we were something more hot or cold, but not here in the middle. Here's a question. Have you been pursuing the wrong kind of wealth? Have you been pursuing the kind of wealth that builds you up? 
Is there a place of pride in your life, like the believers in Laodicea, that Jesus would confront if he were to call you to, to pursue the wealth of the kingdom? Is, is there something in your life that has, has puffed you up so much that Jesus would say, hey, this, this thing, it's not giving you the wealth you think it is. You need to surrender it to me and buy for me something more pure than that. What would that place of pride be for you? Is it your talent, something that you've honed and developed so that you can say to everyone, I'm I'm, I'm pretty good at this thing. When you introduce yourself to people, what is that first thing you say to them? Is it about uh, a sport that you really enjoy? Is it about a hobby that you have? Is it about a career, this, this thing that is a place of pride for you? What, what is that thing for you? For each of us, it's different. Maybe you're pursuing status in the world around you. You've been living your life with this, this status symbol that you think will will provide some kind of confidence in your life. Maybe it's a car that you've always dreamed of having and you've, you've been saving and scrounging, hoping to buy this vehicle so you can drive around town and wave at people and they say, hey, nice car. You go, I know, it's wonderful. I've saved up for this. I've actually gone into deep, deep debt just to drive this around town. Maybe it's a neighborhood and you've been saving to buy a house in a very particular neighborhood. So you can say, no, I don't live there. I live here. Why don't you come and see my house? It's in the neighborhood, the place you wanna live. Come on, be jealous. Maybe it's a position or a title in the place where you work. You've been working to get to that place because you're tired of reporting to other people. You're tired of getting their approval to do the things that you need to do for your job. And you want some respect. And you think, if I could just get this title, then people will have to come to me. I'll have respect. They'll say, good morning, sir. I need to ask you a question about my job. And you can say, yes, I give you my approval. Because you're longing for that status. Maybe for you it's wealth. And you're saving so that you can have this particular number in the bank. You're working, putting every little bit away. Maybe it's a salary for you, and you think, if I can just climb up high enough and make this number per year, then I'll be set. I'll never have to want for anything else. Maybe you're thinking about retirement, and you're building this nest egg that will provide for you in your retirement years, and you have to just keep working and laboring and striving. You feel like you can't rest until you've got that number. Maybe you're scrambling out of debt. And you're devoting yourself so much to go from red to black and you can't wait for that day. Maybe for you, the pursuit is different. Maybe it's affirmation you're looking for. You're looking for the approval of a friend who will accept you or a circle of friends you're trying to break into and you're hoping that they will deem you worthy to belong to them. Maybe you've been struggling and striving for the approval of a parent for you decades, hoping to hear encouraging words from them because they don't come very often. Maybe it's a supervisor that you're hoping to live up to their expectations. Maybe you've invested a lot of yourself into this terrible cycle on social media and you are longing for the right response digitally. You're wanting some, some likes, you're wanting some loves, you're wanting some, some comments. And you're living for this influence that, that grows as more people follow you. And you're living to gain. Maybe you're living for a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And you are desperate for their affection and approval. And you are doing everything you can just to make them happy. Maybe it's your reputation that you're working to correct. And you are doing everything that you can to overcome your past. And every time you encounter someone around town that you've known for a long time, you feel like you've got things to live down because of the person that you once were. And you're hoping to turn your reputation on. You, you find yourself 
striving and pursuing and struggling to reach this goal. The next question I have for you is this, what happens when you take hold of that goal? When you finally reach it, how do you feel? Are you living for a goal that when you finally take hold of it, you'll feel empty? Are you living for a goal that when you finally take hold of it, you'll feel fulfilled? Or do you get there and you, you realize that you've been pursuing this thing for so long, you don't know what to do next. You, you find yourself drifting and aimless because you lost your purpose and you have to find some other meaningless thing to pursue. Jesus called on the church of Laodicea to let go of these things that they were pursuing, these sources of pride and wealth and position so that they could surrender to the kingdom and live according to his purpose and discover the wealth that comes with surrendering their lives to the Lord and, and being on fire in their relationship for God and being filled with this hope and this love and this peace that makes a difference in the world around them. That no longer would they be just lukewarm, but they would be filled with this fire that drives them, that is known and evident in everything that they do. And we hear these words of Jesus and we hear the challenge and we hear the, the confrontation to stop settling for lukewarm, to stop settling for good enough, to stop being okay with okay and to choose to do something about that and allow him to work in us to make the changes that need to be made so that we can grow in him and live a life with purpose and meaning and value. Here's what Jesus said, those I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. He said to the church of Laodicea, rebuke and discipline come to those I love. Now, Jesus had said some very difficult things to this church, some things that are painful, some things that are hard to hear. And the reason that he said them to those believers is because he loved them because he wanted so much more for them than to give their lives in the pursuit of meaningless things. He wanted them to open their eyes and see the reality of their situation, that they had been settling for good enough and, and to be convicted, to make a change. And that, that discipline is born out of his love. And he treats us the same way. He expresses his love to us. Book of Proverbs, we read about the love of God expressed in this way. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son, he delights in. And we understand, parents, what that looks like. And we don't have to be a parent to understand how love is expressed in this way. It's love that motivates us to have difficult conversations with people. When we see them in a, a difficult place, a place where they're making poor decisions and bringing about harm and difficulty and they're overwhelmed with their situation it's love that motivates us to engage in a difficult conversation to confront those decisions to correct and challenge and, and to point them in a better direction it's love that motivates us it isn't love to see someone experiencing difficulty in pain and suffering and to say well those are your choices you can live with the consequences and walk away it's not love that produces indifference in us toward the world around us love motivates us to engage and help people overcome the situation that they're in and grow in their relationship with the lord and see how he can help them resolve the difficulties of their lives as they surrender to him it's love that motivates us to engage and to act we have to love enough to overcome our indifference 
And we have to love them enough to help them overcome their indifference. And the discipline, the rebuke, the correction, the the challenge, the conversation has to be motivated by love. Has to be motivated by the love of God in order to produce the kind of change that will draw them closer to the Lord. And we're called to genuinely, earnestly, lovingly repent, turn from our apathy and turn our hearts toward God and see how he will resolve, how he will work in us, how he will correct and guide and rebuke so that we can grow in him. Here's what he said as he continued his message to the church of Laodicea. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they will eat with me. This is Jesus knocking on the door, Laodicea. They are living in this apathetic faith and Jesus is desperately trying to get them to let him in, to make some changes and help them grow. But they're not even aware that he's knocking. When we wanna make these changes in our lives, when we recognize that we're not where we need to be with the Lord, we need to be willing to open the door for Jesus when we recognize his voice. Now it's a process. Something that I think we need some guidance on. The first thing that we need to do is to be able to recognize the sound of the voice of Jesus, to be familiar enough with his voice, to be familiar enough with his word, that when we hear him calling at the door, we know it's him. Oh, that's Jesus. If we're not spending any time in prayer and study of his word and growing to understand his voice, we won't recognize him when he's calling. The second thing we need to do is to listen for him knocking. When we get distracted, when we get wrapped up in the pursuits of this world, meaningless pursuits, we get to a place sometimes where we're not even aware of him knocking at the door. You ever went to someone's door and knocked and they didn't answer? You know they're inside, but they're not coming. You just keep, keep knocking or you give up and walk away. We can't get so wrapped up in the pursuit of the wrong kind of wealth that we're not even aware that Jesus is calling out and knocking, wanting to enter in. last thing we need to do when we hear Jesus knocking and calling our name we need to open the door <laughs> it's not a hard thing but it's a it's a process we have to hear we have to be recognized we have to be aware and we have to open the door and not leave him standing on the porch you ever gone to the door seen a salesperson out there and just kind of cracked it open what do you want I don't, no thanks I don't want any sorry shut the door have you ever had somebody come to your house and knock on the door unexpectedly and you kind of Close the door behind you as you step on the porch. Everything's a mess. I don't really want you to see all the stuff. So why don't we have a conversation on the porch and then you can go. I've done that. Jesus is knocking at the door, not because he wants a quick word and then move on his way. He wants to come in. He wants to help you clean up the mess. And he wants to be in your life. He says, when you open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you will eat with me. He's not coming in to be served. He's not coming in for you to put on this fantastic banquet and sit and watch him eat. No, he wants to spend time with you. He wants the joy of the conversation over a lengthy meal. He wants to sit down on the couch and talk to you about life and draw you into him and reignite the fire of your faith and move you away from this place of lukewarm that your life would be down with my father on his throne. 
Now, we've learned that victorious is synonymous with one who is faithful to the end, who is true to the word of God, who is true to the the name of the Lord throughout their lives all the way to the end. He said, if you are victorious, here's what you can expect. You can sit with me. You, you You can... Sit beside me. I'm, I'm going to share with you this place of notoriety, recognition, of, of respect, of authority, and most importantly, of belonging. That people will see that you belong with me for eternity. This is, this is, and Jesus says, this is what happened for me. I was victorious. I was faithful to the death. I sacrificed my life. Was buried. And raised to life and ascended to heaven. And when I got there, I sat down next to God because I was victorious to the end. And this is what you can expect if you're victorious, faithful to the end. This relationship with the Lord for eternity. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The Spirit says to the churches, let's pray. God, we thank you for the message of your word. We thank you for the challenge that it brings to our lives. We thank you for the confrontation. Even when it's painful, God, we want to grow in you. And we know that we need to hear those difficult words, God, that are born out of your love. Words that help us to change. Words that motivate us to move off of this lukewarm faith, the satisfied Christianity, Lord. Place that draws us to sink back into over and over again. God, we, we hear your words pushing us to reignite the fire. And God, we pray that you would do that in us. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.